the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hey, welcome. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on the program Crosswalk with Gino Geraci. It is, of course, the program where we typically take your calls, answer your questions. We just hung up with Bill Federer. He, he will be coming to the front range of Colorado. He's going to be at Calvary South Denver on a Sunday at the 10 o'clock service. And um, Bill Federer is always fun, fun, fun to listen to. You might have heard him speak at uh, online at Jack Hibbs Church. Got over a million hits. He will be at Calvary South Denver this Sunday. 303-873-1935 is my number if you want to join me on the program. We were talking about a little bit about uh, the Mer- American Worldview Inventory that was done by George Barna for 2024. He talks about um, how do we bridge the growing divisions in our country. Um, he talks about a spiritual awakening um, as the solution. He he also talks about, in his highlights, he basically says out of the 170 million adults who self-identify as Christian in the United States of America, 92% are syncretists. They're not really Christians. They're syncretists. Fewer than one out of 10 who attend a Protestant church has a biblical worldview. That's 9%. While 88% qualify as syncretists. Yesterday, I talked a little bit about what is a syncretist, but... One quarter of all self-professed Christians are associated with the Catholic Church. Among Catholics, 1% have a biblical worldview. 98% are syncretists. One out of six self-labeled Christians, 16%, do not identify with either the Protestant or the Catholic Church. Of those, 4% have a biblical worldview. And so he says, paralleling the rise of syncretism, most adults share similar perspectives on fewer than one-third of the 53 worldview indicators that are uh, measured by the American worldview inventory. And so, again, you have to understand what he means by a biblical worldview in order to understand the, the statistics. Now, again... There's a movie, or I should say a series that are coming out, a reality show um, called Couple to Thruple. It's airing on Peacock, and it talks about the story of four couples who are curious about polyamory. Now, polyamory is the idea of many loves. Um, And so, again, just like what was happening um, with the... The, the the normalization leading to the legalization of homosexual marriage, the, the Supreme Court, when they ruled, suggested that um, that that was the trajectory we were headed on, and uh, people like Jim Dennison at the Dennison Forum 
has basically talked about the ongoing sexual revolution, had a four-step strategy. Number one, normalize aberrant behavior. Number two, legalize aberrant, dare I say, wicked, sinful behavior. Number three, stigmatize those who disagree with you. And then criminalize the disagreement. I couldn't agree more. That's the trajectory. So when you talk about legalizing homosexual marriage and then eventually legalizing what's called polyamory, imagine we we live in a culture where it becomes possible for one, two, three, four people to be married to each other. And again, I think that Jim Dennison is right when he says it seems to work this way. The culture attempts to normalize the behavior, then legalize the behavior, then stigmatize those who disagree, and then criminalize the disagreement. Earlier this week, he wrote about, is polyamory relationship suicide? He said, quote, I doubt that you need me to remind you that the Bible forbids sexual relationship outside the lifelong covenant of one man and one woman in marriage. And then he cites Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. The list could go on and on and on. But here's his point, too. Well, what about those who don't care what the Bible says? And by the way, you have a growing group of people who, if you actually embrace a biblical view on any given subject, you're accused of being a Christian national. It becomes a dog whistle to cease and desist. You can't have a conversation in public about what constitutes weird, wicked, sinful, aberrant behavior. Back to Jim Dennison. Normalize the behavior, legalize the behavior, stigmatize those who disagree, and that's exactly what's happening. But again, what about those who could care less what the Bible says? And Jim Dennison says something remarkable. He says, as a cultural apologist, I'm called to declare and defend biblical responses to the critical issues we face. The work often begins with the apologetic, or actually the apagogic task, of demonstrating the flaws in the worldview to which I'm responding. He says, to this end, let me note what is objectively wrong with polyamory. And then he links to articles, not by Christian apologists, but by secular counselors and people who do not identify with a biblical worldview. And by the way, if you want to find this, go to ChristianHeadlines.com, ChristianHeadlines.com, or you can go to one of my favorite places, the Denison Forum. And at the Denison Forum, there are links to the statements that he's making. 
So if you doubt what I'm saying or you want to follow up with what I'm saying or if you want to substantiate what I'm saying. And so what Jim Dennison points out, polyamory prevents the depth of intimacy uh, human beings really want and need that can be accomplished only through deep commitment to a single individual. It raises enormous issues for the children. If one parental figure were to leave and there wasn't the institution of marriage stopping them, it can be extremely devastating for the child. Some argue that polyamorous families offer more love for the children. But in one counselor's experience, they actually feel themselves to be less of a priority and learned that significant people are replaceable. Many who engage in polyamorous relationships do so to avoid intimacy, hedge against real vulnerability, and sidestep adult responsibility. According to one counselor, polyamory is simply one more technique of conflict avoidance and problem escapism to the external. She warns that polyamory is detrimental, a detrimental non-solution to marriage. What does the Bible have to say? I'll talk about that when we come back. 303-873-1935. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. I love, love, love the shift in weather. Because when it gets cold, guess what? My uh, artificial knee starts to ache. And if you're sick and tired of achy joints, if you dread the idea of surgery, you can call QC Kinetics. That's right. The state of healthcare is always changing. And the old ideas like steroids and surgery are no longer your only option. Regenerative medicine at QC Kinetics is transforming lives with innovative, non-surgical, drug-free treatments that deliver lasting results. Do you have knee pain or back pain or shoulder pain? Is it from arthritis? Is it from an injury? Well, don't let that pain keep you from living your best life. QC Kinetics Advanced State-of-the-Art Treatments Harness and Direct Your Body's Natural Ability to Restore and Repair Damaged Joint Tissue. This is a revolutionary approach that can get you long-term relief with no downtime. Make 2024 the year you reclaim your mobility, reclaim your independence, walk, run, play, live without the danger and trauma of surgery, without, without harmful drugs. Call QC Kinetics now for a free consultation. That's 303-900-8986, 303 303- 98986. So we were talking about polyamory. And um, the desire on the part of the culture to normalize, legalize, stigmatize those who disagree, and then criminalize the belief that it's wrong. Yeah, sin is wrong. So what does the Bible have to say about polyamory? Well, it's a compound word, poly, which is in the Greek language, many, and 
the Latin word for love, amor, polyamory. So it's a it refers to a relationship in which a person has multiple sexual partners, not necessarily at the same time. A polyamorous relationship is supposedly distinguished from swinging by the idea that polyamory involves love while swinging is just recreational or casual sexual contact. Polyamory has been common in dating relationships. And recently, the idea has expanded into what some are calling open marriages. So an open marriage is a marriage in which one or both spouses are allowed to have extramarital affairs. And they'll justify it, the rationalization. If you truly love someone, shouldn't you allow him or her to explore or follow their, their desires of their heart? So in reality, polyamory is polylustery. It isn't love in the biblical sense of the word. There's nothing more about it. Polyamory is absolutely, positively, substantially inconsistent with what the Bible talks about when it refers to marital love. Marital love is pure and faithful and committed and, yes, jealous, just as God is jealous. But in that sense, it isn't some sort of abnormal jealousy. It is a zeal of exclusivity for the worship that is only worthy of the jealous God. So no wonder God refers to himself in Exodus chapter 20, verse 5. He says, you shall not bow down to them, speaking of idols, or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers from the children to the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me. And so should spouses be jealous? Yes. Advocates of polyamory warn against jealousy. So it doesn't matter if a spouse gives permission or even participates in the polyamorous relationship. So for the person who's saying, well, my, my wife is fine with it, my husband is fine with it, the Bible is not fine with it. We don't get to redefine what the Bible says is sin. Although some people are absolutely, positively, unequivocally, willing to A, redefine what the Bible says, or B, dismiss the Bible altogether. But the Bible clearly, consistently, remarkably declares that sex outside of marriage is immoral. Like where? Well, Galatians 5.9. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, injury, or impurity, sensuality. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not ever be named among you as is proper among the saints. 
Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Not that you participate, you abstain. It's adultery, plain and simple. Exodus chapter 20, verse 14. You shall not commit adultery. So it shouldn't surprise us that polyamory is increasingly being accepted in our society. Back to Jim Dennison and the trajectory of normalization, legalization, which leads to criticism of people who say, no, this is wrong. It's W-R-O-N-G. It's wrong. And then criminalization. Who are you to say it's wrong? I'm just a person who believes that the Bible is true and that what the Bible says about it is true. So, our society rejects the God of the Bible. Check. Our society rejects God's word. Check. So as a result, there's no authoritative standard for what marriage really is. Whether it's gay marriage, polygamy, polyamory, these are the radical, civilizational consequences of rejecting the biblical definition of marriage. So what's next? I know that people say, well, pedophilia is a bridge too far. But is it? Really? Will there be an ever-increasing and growing normalization of pedophilia? And then certain forms of legalization? What about incest within the family? What about bestiality? And some people will say, no, no, that's a bridge too far. That's a perversion that will never be accepted. But if you listen carefully to the whispers in the culture, there are those who advocate those behaviors. Some of them whisper, but some are beginning to say it out loud. We love each other, and it's all consensual. Who are you to question who and how I love? And so increasingly, a man or woman who's committed solely to a spouse of the opposite gender is considered an alternative lifestyle. But you know what? An alternative to immorality and perversion is really what it is. You can go to 
the Got Questions blog, there you'll find this outlined and spoken at gotquestions.blog. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The darkness is falling, ladies and gentlemen. 303-873-1935. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. If you'd like to join me on the program, it's easy to do. I have open lines. 303-873-1935-303-873-1935. That's the number. And... Um, there is a, a book out by sociologist Brad Wilcox. The book is entitled Get Married, Why Americans Must Defy the Elites, Forge Strong Families, and Save Civilization. In other words, what he points out is that the biblical view of marriage not just promotes but predicts happiness that nothing predicts happiness better than a strong marriage between one man and one woman. Now, some people might find that comment homophobic or countercultural, but some of the key facts in Brad Wilcox's book, Get Married, Why Americans Must Defy the Elites and Forge Strong Families, he says, those who are married are nearly twice as likely to say that they're very happy as those who are unmarried. Both men and women who get and stay married accumulate greater wealth than people who don't marry or remarry. Married men and women with families report more meaningful lives compared with their single and childless peers. Married adults report much lower levels of loneliness than single parents and those who are single and childless. Children from intact marriages, that's where their biological mother and their biological father are still married, are far more likely to graduate from high school, not commit suicide, graduate from college, have fewer problems in school, they're far less likely to go to prison, and they're far less likely to be victims of abuse. Parents are much less lonely and much more likely to say their lives are meaningful and happy than non-parents. Those who believe marriage is for life are far more likely to be very happy in their marriage. And unsurprisingly, married couples who regularly attend religious service together are more likely to say that they're very happy in their marriage, very happy in their sexual relationship, very satisfied in their life compared to other couples. 
So surprising, unsurprisingly, you have social, statistical support that what the Bible says about being married is right again. So imagine if you say, hey, I think it's okay to advocate and defend biblical morality. Hey, I think I want to talk about the truth. And so, again, we're back to what I've been talking about with George Barna's American Worldview Inventory, that imagine if you're living in a world and there are fewer and fewer people willing to tell the truth. A.W. <laughs> Tozier was right when he said, quote, when we have the Holy Spirit, we have all that is needed to be all that God desires us to be. Think about that. When we have the Holy Spirit, we have everything that God desires for us to be. 303-873-1935, that's the number. If you want to join me on the program, 303-873-1935. I was reading another story about a 34-year-old man in Colorado, Jim, producer Jim, he was bitten by a Gila monster. Now, Gila monsters, I don't think, are native to Colorado, but he kept this Gila monster as a pet, and he died four days later. A man in India jumped into a zoo enclosure to take a selfie with a lion. The lion mauled him to death. A man cooked and ate a poisonous puffer fish that had been given to him, he fell into a coma and died 35 days later. A 19-year-old hiker was taking photos at a scenic overlook in Utah when the cliff he was standing on crumbled beneath him, and then he plunged to his death. What do all these stories have in common? None of the people making those choices thought that it would kill them. They sincerely believed that they were doing the right thing at the right time. The man ate the pufferfish. The 19-year-old taking photos went to a cliff. The 34-year-old man here in Colorado, bitten by the Gila monster, and the man who jumped into the zoo enclosure all had something in common. They thought that what they were doing was right and it was wrong. Can a nation seriously think that what it's doing is right and it be sincerely, fundamentally wrong? <laughs> In 1978, when Solzhenitsyn was speaking to Harvard University, he said these words in 1978. The fight for our planet, physical and spiritual, 
a fight of cosmic proportions is not a vague matter of the future. It's already started. The forces of evil have begun their decisive offensive. You can feel their pressure. Yet your screens and publications are full of prescribed smiles and raised glasses. What is the joy about? And then Solzhenitsyn diagnosed the problem, the root of the problem. Quote, we have lost the concept of a supreme, complete entity, which used to restrain our passion and our irresponsibility. We have placed too much hope in politics and social reforms, only to find out that we are being deprived of our most precious possession our spiritual life. And then he proposed this solution. Since man's body is doomed to death, his task on earth evidently must be more spiritual, not a total engrossment in everyday life, not the search for the best ways to obtain material goods, and then their carefree consumption. It has to be the fulfillment of a permanent, earnest duty so that one's life journey may be, above all, an experience of moral growth. Only by the voluntary nurturing in ourselves of freely accepted and serene self-restraint can mankind rise above the world stream of materialism. Solzhenitsyn was advocating... (laughs) In 1978, what George Barna has announced in 2023, a spiritual problem requires a spiritual solution. Of course, at the Harvard commencement, he's asking and answering the question, what happens when a nation forgets God? 303-873-1935. I'll be back. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. I was quoting uh, Solzhenitsyn's Harvard address about what happens when a nation forgets God. And he talks about what happens, what happens if you literally refuse to exercise self-restraint and you just simply dive headlong into the world's stream of materialism. And Solzhenitsyn concluded, he said, quote, even if we are spared destruction by war, life will have to change in order not to perish on its own. So he's, he's in 1978, he's thinking, Well, what if the world somehow survives into 88, 98, 08, 18? Fast forward to the year 2028. He says, we avoid reassessing the fundamental definitions of human life and human society. Is it true that man is above everything? Is there no superior being above him? Is it right that man's life and society's activities should be ruled by material expansion above all? Is it permissible 
to promote such expansion to the detriment of our integral spiritual life. According to Solzhenitsyn, he says, quote, we shall have to rise to a new height of vision, to a new level of life. This ascension is similar to climbing onto the next anthropological stage. No one on earth has any other way left but upward. And so, what happens? Again, I'm, I'm toying with the idea that George Barna might be right. What if George Barna is right? Now, again, I am not opposed to politics in this sense. Remember, I've been using the definition politics is, or is uh, truth and community. Um, what about social reforms? What about the issue of homelessness and, and the immigration uh, invasion? Well, again, what in the world and where in the world are we going to go to find answers? And what if the answer is, well, to consider the claims of Jesus? Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. But there are people who are listening to other voices. Jesus said about them, you are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth there's, because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks according to his own character because he's a liar and the father of lies. That's John eight forty four. You know, Viktor Frankl said, quote, the gas chambers of Auschwitz were the ultimate consequence of the theory that man is nothing but the product of heredity and environment, or as the Nazis like to say, of blood and soil. Viktor Frankl said, I'm absolutely convinced that the gas chambers of Auschwitz, Treblinka, and Madnik were ultimately prepared not in some ministry or other of Berlin, but rather at the desks and at the lecture halls of nihilistic scientists and philosophers, unquote. In the 19th century, people liked Friedrich Nietzsche because he said God was dead. In the 20th century, human beings entertained the notion that it might be true. In the 21st century, people seem to be living as if it is true. The world didn't stop believing in God. They simply made themselves God. When human beings believe that God is dead, they attempt to live their lives as if they're God. Human beings will seek to be God in the end. But for every single person who seeks to be God, they inevitably become less than men. So what will happen in the United States if the majority culture genuinely, genuinely, permanently 
dismisses the God of the Bible. The people entrusted with guarding our freedoms will in fact betray those freedoms. And that has been historically borne out by the Colorado Civil Rights Commission, which seems to have been created to destroy citizen rights rather than safeguard them. We're back to what Ronald Reagan said so long ago. Government's first duty is to protect its people, not ruin their lives. And so, a homosexual couple demands a wedding cake. A man insists he's a woman, demands that the cake celebrate his right to deny biology in the Bible. We're not the first Christians in the world who are tasked with affirming God's word. But what if a government insists that citizens celebrate sin and mourn righteousness? We might think that Nazism or Marxism or ideological progressivism or woke social justice or socialism or communism or secularism are the only governments in, conf- in conflict with religious freedom. That's not true. When the state asserts its right to compel citizens to abandon the freedom of religion, to abandon conscience, and then compel behavior, it's become something other than what our founding fathers envisioned. In George Orwell's book, Animal Farm, slavery is defined as freedom, and suppression is defined as the quest for equality and fairness. Think about that for just a moment. Slavery is defined as freedom in in George Orwell's Animal Farm. Suppression is defined as the quest for equality and fairness. I think about that as a manifestation of censorship. And what did Santiana say? Those who disregard history are, well, destined to repeat it. In 1970s, Francis Schaeffer told us that one day, one day, we would wake up and discover that America was gone. Isn't that interesting? Former New York Mayor Andrew Cuomo made the statement that America was never really that great. (laughs) I remember that. And during the pandemic, he backtracked against his own ill-advised statement. Of course it was it was great. So which is it, Mayor Cuomo? Great or not so great? So when God is separated from government, I think what's inevitable is judgment. Three zero well, I'll be back tomorrow taking your calls, answering your questions. Thanks, Jim.
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.